Squad. I'm Kayla and I'm here with my fellow book women today and we are back in our book women studio in Amiskwichi <laughs> after our like awesome adventure out to the you know the res last week which was great we are back in the city you yeah. know, doing our day job. In the studio, a.k.a. Sheila's living room. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's not the best studio, though. Yeah, it's true. It is. It comes with pineapples. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and supper. Yeah. We're yeah. so well looked after here. Of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm Sheila, and I uh, am lazy, so everyone records here. Yeah. So thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming over. I'll give you supper and pineapple. <laughs> Jeez. So, <laughs> I'm Tanya, and I'm glad we're not at my house because it's a fucking mess. <laughs> so, I feel like your kids would scream through the whole thing too. They would. They would. Dylan might not. My mom would be like, "What?" Oh god. Out. Yeah, that's why we have that. We so my friend cross stitched me a picture, and it says. Don't mind or mind the mess. My kids are making memories, and making Aww. memories is crossed out, and it's replaced by being assholes. <laughs> so I put that front and center. So you know, I get a free pass. Awesome. <laughs> These are cute, though. Oh yeah. yeah, you haven't seen them melt down, but that's whatever. A they're whole they're story. little gingers. Of course, they're gonna melt down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because it's a ginger thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. My kids are too dangerous. You know? <laughs> They're starting to get their freckles in. It's so cute. Aww. Aww. Freckles. Aww. I wish I had freckles. You're jealous. I am jealous. <laughs> and we're here with a special guest today. We <laughs> say special guest. Always. Are we, always all of our always guests, special guests. All of our guests <laughs> are special. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. Thank you for... It's all good. What is your name? <laughs> um, my name is Brittany. Brittany Johnson. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this. I'm really excited to oh, be here. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome to our studio. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a live-in studio. <laughs> oh we even have a studio cat. Like, yeah, a cat is a nice are. touch. No, she's hiding, but yeah, she's around. She's around. I mean, we also come with, like, well, we don't, but Sheila comes with a man that cuts us pineapple. Yeah. (laughs) And then leaves. And then leaves. He's the best. He's the perfect man. (laughs) Yeah, no complaints, that's for sure. (laughs) So, Brittany, um, who are you? And... How do we know you and that intro thing that we're supposed people to people like us do? <laughs> who are you? Where do you come from? We should so, have a light and shine it on you. <laughs> who are you? Why are you in our Why are you, why are you here? <laughs> I grew up about 45 minutes south of Edmonton in a place called Camrose. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the look. Oh, I know Camrose. I do. <laughs> I grew up in Toefield. Okay. So... Little mom, rivalry. Yeah, my mom went. <laughs> she went to work in Camrose, Ross Haven. Okay, I I used to work at Bethany. So. Oh, oh, small world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's where I grew up, and my family is uh, like my mom. She's a member of Beaver First Nation, also Métis. 
Um, so my family's from way up north in Chidiye territory um, near High Level and Fort Vermillion, mm-hmm. but I didn't grow up there. I grew up in the Cameras area. And now I live just outside of Edmonton, but uh, I am currently a PhD student at the U of A in English and Film Studies, and I'm uh, really enjoying that, and that's it's a little little background about me. What are you studying? So right now I am focused on specifically looking at uh, beadwork as text, but also relating that to um, sexual and reproductive justice for Indigenous women. So some of that work looks like uh, beading uteruses and vulva and mammary glands. I'm obsessed with mammary glands right now. <laughs> um, and then also related and part of that is that I also am a burlesque performer. I'm one half of Beaver Hills Burlesque. My uh, performance name is Fanny Lufine. And my, my partner is Pemmican Milkshake, a.k.a. Kristen Lindquist. And we have a lot of fun with that, but I do uh, burlesque and I need pasties as part of my dissertation. That's so awesome. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm going to have a lot of questions about that, so I'll let other folks ask other... Do we want to start with that or do we want to talk about writing first? Up to you. You decide. Well, I feel like we're already talking about pasties, so... <laughs> you can't go over from there. Yeah, like, you got our you attention. Got you talked about boobs. I want to know more about boobs. I <laughs> love... Okay. We all got them. Yeah, indeed. True. <laughs> so what got you interested in burlesque? It's something I've always wanted to do. Yeah. I've always loved it. And I always, I guess, thought that I didn't have the type of body that people would see mm-hmm. in burlesque. And so I kind of shied away from that, but secretly always wanted to do it. Yes. And then, you know, and, and Pemmican and I were talking about how we actually came to this, and we, we can't really decide how it actually happened. But we just kind of were talking about sexy things, and then burlesque came up, and then... One thing led to another. We both ended up taking at different times a Neil burlesque class. And then from there, we just kind of made this burlesque group. And then next thing I know, we performed in Vancouver and we're just <laughs> doing burlesque. And it's just become something that I really, really like to do. And I just, I love that you can do this art form that also can be like so political mm-hmm. in nature. So like everything that I do is telling a story through dance and like making a point yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and like for me like so I also I also do burlesque and like I was like oh yeah like storytelling through burlesque it's such an interesting weird art form where you where you explain burlesque to people that don't know burlesque it's like well it's kind of like dance in a way you know and like it's not there isn't really anything like it like it really is like storytelling it really is what i love about it and as i i've learned is that literally anybody yes can do burlesque Mm -hmm. and i it's helped me to actually be more comfortable with my own body because after you know i have children yeah and so after having my children i was like you know worried about how my body looks and now i'm like yes i'm gonna shake all of this yeah. <laughs> and it's just a way of uh you know i guess giving me back some bodily autonomy that mm-hmm. yeah. i had lost over the years yeah for sure for yeah. sure that's awesome 
Yeah. It's like decolonizing sexuality. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that's like, it's really hard to do is like decolonize your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Even like myself, like I thought I was fairly, you know, like on a good path to decolonizing my own like understanding of myself and my body. But then I was like, I am so attached to stuff like wearing a bra. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. though it's painful and it sucks. I've been trying to like get away from like doing that as much, but it's weird. Like you go out in public without a bra and especially when you have a bigger chest, you're like, are people looking at mm-hmm. the fact that my like nipples are pointed the wrong way? Like they're going towards the floor. Like, <laughs> 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 uh-huh. <laughs> like it's just, then you're in Walmart, you're like, is everybody staring at me right now? Yeah. And yeah. probably nobody's looking. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that's true for me incorporating beadwork into it is really important for me so like I can see it as like a form also of like healing so like by taking a piece of beadwork and putting it on your body it's a way Mm -hmm. of also kind of getting through past trauma or trying to I guess deal with those things in a way that's creative in nature and tells a story and it's just so fun (laughs) (laughs) when did you start doing beadwork and then when did you combine the beadwork and the burlesque? Beadwork, I didn't start doing it until I was an adult. So, um, and actually, the first time that I beaded was, well, when I really started to learn how to bead was when um, I was a volunteer at iHuman Youth Society. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a beadwork thing with cool. some of the youth. And so I learned there, and then I just kind of kept on going from there and learned with other beaders. Uh, Tara Capo, her and I were in the same cohort, and so her and I beaded together a couple of times, and I think she's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's, like, ridiculously good beadwork artist. Um, and then I just kind of went from there, and some elders from Muscogee that I spent some time with as well, beaded with them, and then it's just kind of become part of what I do. Yeah. Um, it became really important to me um, as a way of connecting and especially, like, spending time with other people who bead, mm-hmm. and then you just talk and you learn and it's just a really good way of forming community mm-hmm. and what is just to go back uh, what is i human for people that oh, don't know that's okay no worries so i human society it's this arts-based kind of you can see it as like a drop-in center for youth between the ages of 12 and 25 it's downtown edmonton kind of near chinatown so what it is is when youth come in they can access a fully functional art studio sewing studio, music recording studio. Um, They have a drama kind of theater space as well. And so the youth can come in and do these arts-based, it's not really necessarily like a programming, but they can come in and they can do these things and um, express themselves artistically. Um, And then of course they have staff that that can help the youth if they need in various ways. But it's just like, I became really um, passionate about what they were doing, uh, specifically through, they have a program for young moms. And so that was something that was really important for me. And so I was helping volunteer over in that area. And then I was in the the welcome area. And I just think it's like a really amazing place for youth to come and hang out. Cool. Mm -hmm. And then what gave you the idea to start beating your burlesque costumes? I actually don't know how that happened. But all I know is that I was deciding I was going to make my own pasties. And I started to form them, and I realized that I wanted to beat a flower onto this thing. And I just did it. I'd never done that before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned along the way that it's actually easier to 
bead after you've already shaped your pasty. Right. Because I didn't know how to make a pasty yet. But I just started doing that and then it just kind of has become a thing. And once I'm good enough at tassels, I plan on beading tassels as well. Nice. But for now, yes. it's pasties. I eventually want to also make a pasty that covers the almost the entire boob, but it's still one pasty and has mammary glands on it. As I mentioned, I'm obsessed with mammary glands. Okay. <laughs> and just have this, because that also kind of goes against what you think for a pasty, that yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's like a full, <laughs> a full coverage. Right. That's awesome. I love that idea. Yeah. Like ribs. Yes. <laughs> Don't know why. I'm just like skeletal. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. So, and you've performed in Vancouver? Yeah, as part of, uh, so we had a TP Confessions event out in Vancouver during NISA. So the North American and Indigenous Studies Association had their annual conference uh, out at UBC, so the University of British Columbia. And we went there and uh, we presented on burlesque and about uh, uh, Indigenous female sexuality. But then we also performed at TP Confessions that was being held there that night. And TP Confessions being a sex positive uh, research creation laboratory of sorts um, that folks come in and it's just a really sexy night. There's usually four-ish performers who talk about something related to the topic and they come up and there's performers. So for us, we're burlesque performers. We got to perform alongside Virago Nation while we were there, which was so cool. They're another all-Indigenous burlesque group out in Vancouver, and uh, other people did readings. Uh, so Tennille Campbell, for example, was there. She read from Indian love poems. Mm -hmm. um, so there is, uh, it's just a night you come and people do that, and you get to put your anonymous sexy confessions, and then people read them out throughout the show. And so it's just a lot of fun. And that's where we debuted as Pemmican Milkshake and Fanny Lufine, and it was just pretty awesome. <laughs> That's so good. I have a question. I might cut this out. I don't know. Did Pemmican Milkshake used to be Pemmican Smoothie? Or is that another performer? No, I, I think she's always been Pemmican Milkshake. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because Jessie Lawyer, she's, we, we know her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's not royal. Okay. Yeah, she came to Toronto. I used to live in Toronto. Um, I was talking about Oh yeah, my friend does burlesque, and her name is uh, Pemmican Smoothie. And that's that's probably Kristen. That's probably, okay, yeah, probably they know each other. And her good friends. Okay, yeah. okay, cool. So okay. like connecting all the dots in this burly, yeah. indigenous, awesome world. Isn't that hilarious? Like we all kind of know each other. I know. Five degrees separation. It's like, well, if you're person. awesome. You probably know my friend, who's also awesome. And interested in these kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. That's awesome. That's so funny. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you. I yeah. Have a question. What's up? Do you get members? Do you get new members? So that is something that we are wanting to expand on. Um, so right now, it's just the two of us. But we definitely want to go forward from there. Right now, we have a Facebook page that you can like that we have literally put nothing on. But... Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. We intend... Uh, to make more of an effort. We have some folks who are interested in coming in as even even in other roles other than performing. So there's someone who wants to come in and help with choreography, for example. We have some people who are very interested in coming and being part of performing. And uh, we want to grow it and we want it to become something very unique and something that uh, more people can come and join. And so we're literally always welcoming other people. And 
hopefully we'll uh, figure out an actual performance or I guess group rehearsal times and do that because right now we just do occasionally we teach decolonial burlesque workshops oh, okay um We've done that a few times, usually in Pride, during Pride Week mm-hmm. um, at the U of A. We've done that a couple of times, but we want to make it more of like a regular... Awesome. A regular thing. So it's in the works. What? It's in the works. That's so cool. So what does a decolonial burlesque workshop look like? So what it looks like for us is that we talk about burlesque in a way that is... I guess thinking through it in an ethical way. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So oftentimes, as you would know as well, being a burlesque performer, there's a lot of burlesque that is super unethical and is not, I guess, aware of uh, how something might be read. Um, For example, uh, for one of my performances, I had thought at first that I maybe wanted to wear like a nun's habit as part of a performance. But then after hearing an elder talk about how her husband still gets triggered every time he sees a priest or a nun, for me, I said, no, I can never have something like that involved in my performance. So, like, that's a way of doing burlesque in an ethical way. Yeah. But then also how we talk about the body and the performances and that everyone's welcome to come into the space. And we do kind of like a group choreography thing and they get to kind of learn from one another. So it's not just us leading the class. So we look mm-hmm. at it as more of a collaborative thing, even yeah. within the space. Another part of burlesque that's not surprised me, but like is still always there is like an undercurrent of stealing uh, moves mm-hmm. and particular costume elements of costuming and different things from other cultures, um, mm-hmm. namely a lot of black and immigrant cultures. And it's like, oh, no, 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 this isn't twerking. This is booty bumping or what, whatever. You yeah. Know, that, that kind yeah. of thing where it's like, no, like, it's fine to shake your butt, but you, if you're doing it in a particular way that you know came from somewhere else, yeah. then what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish Pemmican was here to add her her stuff in. Her and I, when we get talking about it together, she jokes that it's kind of like the Laverne and Shirley show, like that we're just kind of like, we don't really know what we're saying, but we will get to the point eventually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Isn't that what storytelling is, though? I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Take what you will. It's up to the listener. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> I'm taking on a journey, and then we will finally get there, and my point will come across. It just might take half an hour to get there. Yeah. Exactly. So is that the kind of feeling that you want people to come away from it, your performances? Or what's what kind of story are you typically telling, if there is a typical, I guess? I don't know if there is a typical one. It varies, I guess. So, like, I've done one on um, appropriation. Mm. Um, so in that one... Event, I, I'm reading what looks like a Bible, um, but as I undress the Bible, it's actually a Joseph Boyden text. Whoa! <laughs> and the book that I've been reading and looking like I'm getting excited by, because you can see that I've, I've stuffed another book inside of it, and it's actually Tennille Campbell's Indian Love Poems, and so then that's what I'm reading, and then I throw Boyden's book away. <laughs> um, yeah! And so I did something like that, but then I also recently did another one to... Ariana Grande's song, God is a Woman. Mm -hmm. But I did that based on people constantly 
telling us as Indigenous women that we, we can't achieve certain things or that mm-hmm. um, there's only so much we can do. And throughout that, it's kind of like a reclamation dance that ends literally just me in these feather pasties, just really kind of just standing still in one spot with my arms raised in the air and slowly bringing them down as it's saying God is a woman. Um, and that one's very emotional. Mm-hmm. And even when I perform it, like I get emotional as I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And it was a way of, for me, reclaiming bodily sovereignty and sexuality. But so it really depends mm-hmm. on the mood, how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling like being cheeky or yeah, <laughs> if I'm feeling like making you cry, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're not stuck to one genre. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's so good. Feel like I'm always cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little cheeky hanging out, you know. That's, yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> I love it. Have you ever gotten any? Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking because I'm doing my composite exams right now, and a lot of the stuff that we have to read is very triggering, especially for an Indigenous woman who may or may not have gone through trauma. Mm-hmm. Have you ever come across any negativity around your decolonial sexuality work? So, that, if that's even the right way of describing, <laughs> no, I know. I think I know what you're asking. So, there have been people who really don't understand it and yeah. don't understand why it's so important to do this kind of work, or see it as being something that wouldn't be a way that they would personally find healing or be able to deal with that and for those people how I talk about it is that that is 100% valid Mm -hmm. and that this isn't something that everyone has to do I'm not telling everyone that like yeah you know what the the best way to heal through things is to bead pasties or to do burlesque Mm -hmm. but for me personally it's been something that has given me a lot of strength mm-hmm. and has given back to me a lot of things that were taken from me. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, it's something that I, I tread on very cautiously and just like always to meet people where they're at and accept whatever their experience is mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just be aware, I guess, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Especially because, I don't know, some people, they're just not ready to face it yet. It's true. You know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people, the reality is they may never be able to face it. And that's just something that is a reality, right? So mm-hmm. it's just finding finding space for literally any experience and seeing all experiences as being okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. Got deep. Got deep there. <laughs> I, I have one question. Sure. This is always something that I just want to know. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with your name for Burlesque? <gasps> ah, yeah. oh, good question. <laughs> yeah. Good question. So, Fanny Lou Fine, I came up with that name kind of a two part reason. Uh, so, one is that when I was growing up, I always had a giant ass. So, I was kind of made fun of mm-hmm. for my, my badonka donk, I guess if you want to call it that. I don't know if that's a term I don't know <laughs> but uh it was something that I always struggled with and I always like felt like I was I don't know it was I was really negative about that part of my body so for me it was like a reclaiming through the name you know fanny you know highlighting the mm-hmm. booty and then Lufine for one it's fun to say so saying Lufine I think is a lot of fun but also it's like the idea of tying to the lupine plant, but also to uh, the genus of wolves and looking at how that word can tie in. So then I just added the, the pH, so it would say fine. 
but it's a way of also connecting to other than human and other than animal relations as well. So that's how I came up with with that name. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Cool. <laughs> and do you always have elements of animal or non-human relatives in your performance work? Or? Actually, not that you bring it up quite often. Okay. Quite often, yeah. I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I do. Okay, um, yeah. I often have elements of that. Not always, but I have sure. elements of that, or um, I'll have things that have to do with consumption in some way as well. So, like, I might include some kind of food item or something like that in the performance itself, too. But it's something that I really like to incorporate and hadn't really thought about that much until right now. Okay, okay. I'm like, are you thinking this? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, you bring up a really important point because we're talking about sexuality, right? But sexuality isn't just like sex. Yeah. You know, it's so many other different things. So consuming a piece of food, depending on what it is, like in your reaction to it, can be a very sensual, sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Even like brushing an animal. Who knows? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The word sexuality is just, I don't know, it's so open. Totally. That's true. We, we use elements of animalistic ways, especially to describe particularly marginalized areas of sexuality, mm-hmm. like, ooh, like mm-hmm. that leopard print or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's, it reads very differently in different contexts and different things like that, you know, and like, especially when we're thinking about indigenous women. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah. We're all just in awe. We're like, whoa. <laughs> You're so I sound cool. way cooler than I actually am. <laughs> hey, well, this is a podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Just admit it. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. We all sound secret cooler. Life. I'm editing this. <laughs> yeah. We're editing ourselves to sound cool. Yeah. And everybody else. <laughs> know like you yeah. spend a lot of time like oh. on your couch <laughs> yeah it, it sounds so cool to be in a studio hey like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah oh man whatever you think is happening might be happening we're, all, we're in our living room yeah like it's not it, the truth is revealed anyway it's an illusion it's all an illusion exactly in the matrix (laughs) (laughs) boom uh so yeah you guys want to switch gears sure yeah let's switch gears okay well i can go (laughs) well we can talk about i feel like i can talk about storytelling forever Mm -hmm. um but obviously like you're a storyteller in many different forms outside of burlesque what other types of storytelling do you do so i am a creative writer and a poet so i do have I did have a short story, uh, which actually is a chapter in a novel, but a short story that was published in Prairie Fire's Indian Country issue uh, that came out last year, which was really exciting for me. I I had submitted work to other places before, and I had never had anyone accept my work. Um, so it was very exciting for me to uh, to be published in that. And then I had a few poems published in uh, Birth Issues, which is a pregnancy and childbirth related issue. It was published in an infertility issue, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had some poetry that was published there. And I'm also a singer-songwriter, so I, I perform 
all over the place. I have a one song, it's an old recording, I need to re-record it, that plays on CFWE, so it's an Indigenous Country Music Station. But I do that as well. So that's just kind of, I guess, some of the other ways that I am a storyteller. <laughs> I want to talk about your book chapter. <laughs> okay. Because I really like it. I don't know. Well, as soon as I met you, we met in Paul Guerrero's office, which we recorded with him as well. But he actually <laughs> lent me his copy of Indian Country, and it's N-D-N, like yes. letters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I want to read it. So I pumped through it, and I read your chapter. And I loved it. I thought it was really touching. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love this. All my feelings <laughs> just came out. Would you be able to tell? I don't know if you two have read it. I haven't. No, uh, would you sorry. Be able to tell us a little bit about what it's about? Sure. Or is that too embarrassing? I don't know. No, it's okay. <laughs> well, I don't know. So it's called Cuttings. Mm-hmm. And how I came to write this chapter, it's, it's a short story now. Um, I came to write it because I was thinking about propagation of plants. And I started thinking about spider plants and how you can take mm. cuttings of spider plants mm-hmm. and how they're kind of a difficult plant to kill. I mean, that doesn't mean you can't kill them, but <laughs> um, but they're a pretty hardy plant and how you can take cuttings upon cuttings upon cuttings and they will, um, you can keep on growing these plants. And I started to think about how that can be within relationships as well. Mm-hmm. And so how if you don't take the steps to successful propagation, you're going to run into issues with transplanting your little baby spiderette. So I started thinking about uh, a relationship between a mother and a daughter and that there's this, there's been a breakdown of relationship through various means and how there is that relationship that perhaps things didn't go the right way and that things weren't the way that she had hoped to be in order to be, I guess, growing in a good way. Um, but then I also added in a friend that she has and that she has this uh, relationship to. Um, and there is, there is a, it starts to be a sex scene. They don't end up actually having sex in the chapter but um they have this intimate moment and and I don't know if this would be something that would need to be like a trigger warning like it's discussed I'm just saying like to you guys here with this but um so in it she finds out that her friend has been Mm self-harming and she notices it that she's been cutting on her ribs so in a place where no one would be able to see it and then she has this moment of where she comes over and she kisses her kisses the scars and talks to her about how you're beautiful and like you're okay and that you as a person I I love you for who you are and so it becomes this intimate moment where she's helping her friend to heal Mm -hmm. um and realizing that just because she wasn't necessarily in a good place that she could still help someone else Mm -hmm. and that there was this love and connection in that way and then ultimately it ends with discussing the ways that we are interrelated and how we I took it talks about like menstrual blood and it talks about all these birthing waters and how we're connected to each other through you know there's that that saying about how and I, I believe it was Christy Belcourt who talked about this more fully about how the egg that became you was inside of your mother when she was inside of your grandmother mm-hmm. and so I kind of talk, and I've heard a few other people say that as well but I I was thinking about that idea and how that can also be how you're made up of cuttings of your ancestors and how you continue going on from there so that's kind of what that chapter talks about and it also highlights bisexuality which i think is a sexuality that often does not get discussed or is thought of as being well you're just a fake lesbian or Mm -hmm. you're just uh you haven't met the right woman or man yet to fully make up your mind 
So I was very specific in making this character bisexual to make that a valid way of being. And then the fact that she's also Métis, I think kind of complicates that a little bit more for her. So not only is she Métis, but she's also bisexual. And so I did that on purpose because I don't know that I've ever come across a text that has a Métis bisexual protagonist. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to write something that, you know, some 15-year-old bisexual Métis girl could pick up and read and be like, hey, that's me. So Mm -hmm. that's a breakdown of that. That's awesome. (laughs) I want to read this. I'm like, that relatable content yes please yeah (laughs) I think that's so important I love reading queer stories because I think that there's just not enough of of them and you're right I've never seen any sort of Métis character that's like that no 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 and even yeah no I haven't thought I haven't seen anything no there you go first one (laughs) first one (laughs) (laughs) so made you decide to I guess you said a little bit already, but what made you decide to do, like, to delve into that, like, the the queer writing? The queer writing? Well, for one, because I wasn't seeing it anywhere, and so for me, it's like, if there is a story that I'm not seeing that I want to read, I might as well write it. And so that kind of led me to writing that. And I think it's so important. You know, you, you see so many queer youth who are underrepresented, especially in media and literature. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just really important to have a text like that. And so I decided to write it. Mm -hmm. If you would have seen a story like this, how, when you were maybe younger, Mm -hmm. uh, how would, how do you think that would have impacted you? I think that for me, it would have made me feel as though who I am is okay. And that there's, multiple ways of being mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's okay to have certain sexual desires and that there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I loved it. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that like I loved it. Well as a, like, I guess I, I would identify like myself as a pansexual person so seeing something like that and reading it and having that connection and I don't know why but for some reason like reading it and seeing these two women kind of get together and have an intimate moment without sex mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. I don't know I think it's very very powerful oh glad. so I dug it thank you for writing it <laughs> mm-hmm. oh you're welcome yeah <laughs> do you guys have any other questions about it not about this story but I was wondering if you could talk more about your poetry mm-hmm. yeah, which I sure. also haven't read <laughs> worst <laughs> worst oh, it's okay though because i'm just like i would see myself as like a fresh starting writer okay so i feel like there people would have probably are more likely to have heard some of my music i think than to have read my creative stuff or my poetry so like Mm -hmm. it's totally fine okay good (laughs) yeah I'm just judging an early (laughs) career writer okay okay good So a lot of my poetry obviously deals with sex and sexuality. I was actually, in my undergraduate degree, I was in this poetry class. And every week, you know, I've got some, like, just, like, dripping poem. And my classmates would get so uncomfortable because <laughs> they have to read my poetry. And it's like, uh, I remember this one time we were given where everyone has to write the opening line of a poem. And then you had to choose someone else's. And mine was, once again, I'm thinking of dessert. 
And so I immediately think of sex. And so I wrote a poem about thinking of dessert and turn that into a sex poem. Mm -hmm. And I just remember all of my classmates being like, does everything have to be like sex with you? I'm like, yes, Yes. it does. It absolutely does. (laughs) Why wouldn't you want it to be? Right? Yeah. So good. And so I wrote a lot of poetry like that. But then this is something that I'm starting to be okay with talking a little bit more about, especially because of my research area. But so I have uh, endometriosis, which is me too Uh, wow okay whoa we're vibing (laughs) i love it yeah Um, and so it uh has affected me physically in many ways uh mentally as well do you want to explain endometriosis yes i can or do you want me to we both can we We both can okay so endo or endo endometriosis is where Essentially, the lining, so what is supposed to form your endometrium inside of your uterus, actually grows somewhere else in your body. So it can grow on your rectum, it can grow on the outside of your vagina, and your bladder, it can even go up to your diaphragm and lungs. Like, it just grows, Mm -hmm. and it is undetectable from the majority of different tests that people will do. So they can't see it, generally speaking, on an ultrasound or on a CT or an MRI. They have to go in there and actually see it surgically um, or do a number of different tests from manually pushing on you and making you in pain to be able to Mm -hmm. see what's going on. So what how it has affected me personally and every every person who has it, their experience will be different. Yes. Yes. For me, when I am ovulating, I know because I can barely walk. I'm in so much pain. When I have my actual menstrual cycle, I'm in so much pain that it's it's hard to get through the day. I'm just crying a lot. Uh, for me personally, it's also affected part of my bowel so that when I actually try to have a bowel movement, mm-hmm. I'm screaming in pain mm-hmm. because it is so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also have very heavy bleeding because of that, or prolonged bleeding. Sometimes it won't be as heavy, but I bleed forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so each woman who has it will be affected differently, though. So not everyone gets the same symptoms, but oftentimes you get a lot of pain. And so actually, as a little side note to that, something I plan on doing when I get my pictures, I'm going in for a surgery. And when I get, I will get the photos from from the surgery. And I plan on beating over them. Nice. And so, like, yeah. reclaiming stuff for myself by beating over this. Yeah. But that has also affected, for me, at least they're saying that this might be a reason why, has affected fertility for me. Right. So has made it so that I have uh, struggled to be able to get pregnant. So that is another way it has affected me. And so it took me six years, I think, to have anyone take me seriously about it. Yeah. And it's, it's the average, I think is seven years before, from the time you try to see a doctor to when you actually are diagnosed. Yeah. So for me, it's affected that. And so then I also started writing poetry about it because talking about my body and how I'm feeling about my uterus. And like, I wrote a poem where I like, I'm hating on my uterus and telling her why I hate her. (laughs) But then I wrote another poem after that where I'm like apologizing. But I wrote poems about that because it's something that I don't think people talk about enough. And so I was able to have Mm -hmm. a number of my poems featured in birth issues in their infertility issue. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you've had the surgery yet. Not yet. Yeah. 
Sometime within the next six months. Oh. Yes. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was able to have the surgery when I was in Toronto because they have a whole, in Toronto, they have a whole hospital dedicated to women. Like women's college hospital. I like couldn't believe it. And like, yeah, I was able to get in there Mm -hmm. uh, to a gynecologist that works in there as well. And like, yeah able to have the surgery where when I was in Saskatchewan when I was 21 was when I was first experiencing my symptoms the nurse at the time she was like okay well it's probably endo you know it's this thing blah 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 just get your babies out of the way now Mm -hmm. and then get a hysterectomy I hate my current boyfriend, and like, I'm like not going to have his babies. Yeah. I can't believe he said remember, that to you. I remember I was, it's going, pretty yeah, I was yeah. going through some issues when I was probably like 18, 19 years old, but I was like married for like almost two years at that point. And the nurse was, and the doctor were like, well, you know, sometimes just having children makes it better. And I was like, yes, because I'm just going to like yeah babies and like yeah. not think about anything else but I was like that doesn't sound like a good thing for me and yeah. so like can we explore another way than me like conceiving a child mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's one of the first things that they'll tell you they're like oh we'll just get pregnant yeah and yeah. it's like okay but that's nine months of not dealing with it or possibly having complications yeah yeah and that doesn't like factor in the fact that that's a child yeah. that you're having or that perhaps it's all going to come back yeah. afterwards right yeah. so it's like it's been a frustrating journey so if there's anyone who struggles with that I'm always happy to talk to you about it yeah yeah because <laughs> it's hard to deal with and yeah. then well I think just menstruating in general mm-hmm. is hard to deal with 100 and every month it's different some months I'm like yeah. oh yeah I got this other months I'm like a little ball on the floor and I'm like everything sucks mm-hmm. and I can't Stop shitting. Why? Why would you get bold of the ends just mess everywhere? It was the worst. Yeah. My husband so <laughs> My husband has had to come and oh, yeah. to the university and be like, here's your extra pair of pants. Oh my god. It's mortifying. It's true. Oh, yeah. Well, I started uh, using cloth menstrual pads because yeah. like I I can't actually have anything like I can't use tampons anymore because it's yeah. just like horribly painful for me. Mm-hmm. But I was using the heaviest absorbency cloth pad, mm-hmm. and I had it on. I, I went to a uh, cooking night here in Edmonton, and I went to the bathroom. I'd had this thing on for maybe forty five minutes, and I bled through to my pads at this cooking event. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Why you gotta be like that? Like, why? yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like. Why, why do our bodies do this to us sometimes? Like, why? I don't know. I have this one friend. I used to go to yoga with her all the time. And I'm like, I can't go to yoga today. I got my period. And she's like, why? Why don't you just, like, change it out? I'm like, I will not last the full hour with any soups from And I want my ass to in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You never know. It happens. Yeah. I flung. Okay. So you when flung? What? This is, like, the most, like, one of the most, other than recently my embarrassing work incident when I was an like undergraduate student Mm -hmm. I was going to the washroom I just started using diva cups and I was like I need to like empty it and deal with it Mm -hmm. I pulled it out and it fucking sorry (laughs) 
and flung across the bathroom like a full diva cup. Oh, I was yeah. like, it was like on the floor, and my diva cup that was then on the floor, and I'm just like, I yeah. am mortified. Oh, and then, like no. in the bathroom at the U of A, just like. Oh my god! But then I like talked to my friends who also had just started using diva cups, and they're like, "I saw mine across my ba- not at work, but they're like at my bathroom at home." Oh, oh my god! Diva cups are hard. It's really hard to get used to, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like almost passed out. I yeah. tried to use it, and I don't know what I did. Like I think I tried to move it after it had oh. already suctioned, mm-hmm. and then I like had to crawl out of the bathroom because I got dizzy. Oh, and no. I was all like, I'm like lying on the floor. I'm like, my diva t- cup tried to kill me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> probably did. Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like I, I have visions of trying to take it out and like my hand just being covered in like. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Like, oh, I don't God, use it anymore. Amazing. I've just gone back to using um, like the natural tampon. I do mm. too. Yeah. I, I don't like using. I also share pads with my dog, so... Mm. With your dog. (laughs) My dog is very old and has to wear a diaper, and doggy pads are very expensive. So they are. Me and my dog share pads. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Aw. So (laughs) a little random tangent. (laughs) I love that. This was a great conversation. That's a great part of this conversation. I love it so much. So we're not putting a trigger warning in. Like, we're just going to talk about it. I love it. Every yeah. Awesome. It's a thing. It happens. Were you worried when you were writing your chapter that you were going to get any censorship or any negative feedback from the publishers? I was okay. a little bit worried about well, because like even if you if you read it, the structure of it doesn't flow like a mm. typical story would, I guess. It's almost written in three parts. But when you read them together, you can see how they're interconnected. So I worried that I would have to deal with um, a lot of editing or anything like that. And originally, when I heard back that I had been selected to be in it, they told me that they were only going to publish the first section because they had had so many people uh, submit. And and then it was a surprise to me when the copy came in the mail and they published my whole chapter. <laughs> um, wow. So, and I never, I didn't have any edits. So, for me, it was, like, I don't know for sure. There might have been, like, two things that were changed, because I was like, did I write that? But, um, just, like, how it was phrased, I might have phrased it that way. But to me, it was, like, I don't know, it was really shocking and humbling to see that that went in there like that, and that there was no issues. But I guess that was the main thing I was worried about, but I knew who the editors were going to be. Mm -hmm. So, and... If I say her name wrong, I'm sorry, but Katerina Vermat. Oh, yeah. I fangirled so hard when I saw her recently. She was at the U of A and anyway, um, for the book launch of Indian Country here. I knew that her and uh, Warren Carey were going to be editors. So in terms of like being censored for any of the content otherwise, I didn't think that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually felt really good submitting, knowing that it was Indigenous people who were going to be looking at my work, and that they would be the ones making the decisions on it. Do you notice a big difference, like submitting your work to an Indigenous editor versus like in the magazines and stuff? Well, for my poetry, I noticed a difference. Um, so that editor, but she was pretty chill so she had emailed me and wanted me to like maybe change a few things yeah but then I told her no because that changes the whole meaning of that 
part of the poem and she was like okay fine and then she just published it um but i feel like i'm sure i will come against more issues the more that i publish i am going to be in an anthology of kind of spooky kind of indigenous horror stuff (gasps) coming out in the fall that's um, (laughs) i just saw the final version of my chapter on indigenous horror that i just published in a book yeah. For an English and film anthology. They just came out. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's on pre-order right okay. now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to read it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Can cool. you give us a taste of what you're going to write about? All I'm thinking about is sex with a ghost for some reason. <laughs> ghost. It's actually, like, kind of... Well, in, in, in essence, there is. Sort of. So it's that there's this... It follows this young boy. His name is Hunter. And he basically, he's just kind of like living his life, uh, doing his thing. And he has this, there's this girl that he had been in love with. And for reasons you'll see when you read it, like they're not together anymore. And he's kind of like living his life and he's seeing all these things, experiencing it in relationship to them. And there's always this idea of, of flight. It's called flight. But where he wants to eject from his body and that he's gotten to the point where he can eject from his body whenever he encounters different difficult situations or he doesn't want to feel anymore he's able to like fly out of himself mm-hmm. and then ultimately it ends up being that there's this this creature that kind of he ends up without giving too much away uh he kind of she comes for him mm-hmm. essentially is what happens and that they together go out to feast on souls <laughs> Love it. That sounds amazing. Two kids. Yeah. I'm like, his name's Hunter, you know, and he goes and he's hunting. Aww. I like that idea, though. Like, uh, I just, I got into an argument with somebody about <laughs> that particular thing. Like, the way, it, like, I don't know. I don't know how familiar they were with mental health conditions or, like, mental health at all. Oh, I uh-huh. thought you were talking about me. No, like, not you. You're looking at me. Like, because you're looking at me. Somebody. <laughs> no, not you. Somebody. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, that is totally a thing because I've experienced that, too. Like, when you don't want to experience something, you just uh, totally transport yeah. your brain without even knowing it. Disconnecting. Yeah. And you get so good at it that you mm-hmm. don't even realize mm-hmm. you're doing it until mm-hmm. someone's sitting beside you and like, hey, what did I just say? And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Who are you? Where are we? Yeah. How did I end up at the mall? I was going to work. You know, mm. one of those things. Oh, yeah, you do do that. I do that a lot. I <laughs> we do travel a lot. a lot together, and I'm like, yeah. you do do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, you know, you know, I don't mean to. It just happens because your mind just, like, trains itself. So it's very interesting that you took that, like, route. Yeah. And the only way, I don't actually even know how I, how I wrote it. What I mean by that is that whenever there's a story that I'm going to tell, the best way I described it is that it almost feels like there's like a blanket that comes over me and then I just, it comes out. And then I know that that's just a story that I have to tell. Mm-hmm. So for that, that story, I was like, this is really like creepy and I love it. Um, yep. It's not like, and I like kind of like exploring that dark side and writing about that kind of stuff I find it entertaining which is funny because like I can't sit through a horror movie but I can read stuff or I can I can write it but I'm like the biggest baby when it comes to actually watching a horror film yeah (laughs) I won't sleep Mm -hmm. for like a week it's because like in a horror film it's just so 
graphic and in your face mm-hmm. is what I love about them. When you're reading horror, you can kind of have a little bit more like agency over actually like what's happening or That's how it's true. like or how you imagine or how you imagine it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not so just like here's all the blood, <laughs> which I'm all about that. I'm like pour more blood on it. The gore. I don't mind the gore. For me, it's the sound. Like, I'm really oh, sensitive to sound. No. So I love graphic novel, like horror graphic oh, novels. Oh, yeah. I love them. Me too. But not movies. Good. I can't. Oh, yeah. I love movies. I'm like, yes, but I want to see it where it's like, <laughs> the slasher is not like a dude. It's like a woman chasing some dude through the woods and is like, I'm going to stab you. But that's never the way that it is. It's always yeah. a guy. And I'm like, where's the female, like, slashers? Like, where's the female Leatherface chasing some dude around with a... Chainsaw. She's in this living room. Probably. <laughs> uh, like, yesterday I said I was just fueled on rage and caffeine like all day. And that was my life. Like mm-hmm. one day it's gonna like manifest it's and it's gonna happen. I mean I do live in a house with a murder basement, so the murder pit. That's Freddy Krueger's lair, you think? Maybe. That's what I think the ring Kruger, in the ring houses, if you've ever been into them, the basement looks like Freddy Krueger's house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I live, so you, did you grow up on like a farm? I did. Okay, so I own a hundred year old farmhouse. It's very old. And in the basement where all the groundwater collects is just a giant pit. It's like about nine feet deep. And I call it the murder pit in the basement probably accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. The basement's very creepy. We have like a hundred year old septic system that has not collapsed yet mm-hmm. our well is about that old it's a big pit well so i'm just like we're just like the murder house on the block like, <laughs> <laughs> it looks really creepy at for night too, and often like i'm just wandering around with my like blind and deaf dog and like following him around and i'm pretty sure like people are probably like there's just this apparition in the woods and it's just me trying to find my dog because he's probably wandered off and i'm just like it's me. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> how do you go from sexuality, queer writing, horror stories to country music? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good of course, I'm sure. <laughs> I feel like where you grew up had to do with it a little bit, baby. Well, <laughs> when I was growing up, like Big Bell Jamboree? Well, yeah, I mean, Big Bell Jamboree <laughs> does take place in Camrose. Yes. So we used to go and, you know, sneak into the campsites or we would climb up on the ski hill and just listen to the music yeah. from there. So I did grow up with that. But when I was growing up, we didn't listen to... what When I was really little, we listened to a lot of country. But then my mom kind of changed a lot of the music that she was listening to and... So we didn't listen to country anymore in the house. However, at my dad's, we definitely listened to Shania Twain. So oh, yes. lots and lots of Shania. And then it was when I was about 12 and I got a radio, Ooh. I started listening to more country music. And then, you know, Lime Wire days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And it just kind of like grew into a thing and like I would write songs and no matter what I would write it always just came out country and it's just like I think part of that makes sense though for me when I think about it analytically a lot of country music is storytelling Mm -hmm. and so especially the classic country like I'm a huge fan of like the really old classic country you know and it um 
when you listen to those stories, they're stories that people can relate to. It's songs mm-hmm. that people can relate to. It's about your life, you know? Like, whether it's something, I don't know if I can say this, but something really shitty. If you can say I can say I shitty. Can say, yeah. Some, something <laughs> shitty that happened in your life, and you hear a song about it, like, it's something you can relate to. And so it just kind of, like, became a thing for me. And I didn't see it as a serious thing, I guess, probably until... I was 20 or 21 because before that through various things that had happened to me I didn't think that anyone would ever want to hear what I had to say and so I kept it kind of to myself and then all of a sudden these songs just started pouring out and they just started like I would write song after song after song I could barely play guitar I have a recording of me very poorly on a very badly tuned guitar trying to sing and the song is good the the accompaniment is horrible um but I kept on trying and I just kept on doing and I kept on going kept on going and then now it's just gotten to the point where I'm looking to actually record a full album in the fall I'm looking to take it more seriously I have two shows coming up in June I'm just I've become a performer which makes sense to me which is also kind of yeah. funny though, because I'm I'm actually a very introverted person, and I I'm extroverted when I'm out, but I'm actually very like turned inward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very kind of like stand not standoffish, but I'm very mm-hmm. cautious. Right. And then I get on the stage and I just like I perform, and so it's just like something I just love to do, mm-hmm. and I think it's fun, and I like writing songs that people can relate to. Um, so that maybe they would be able to get through something in their own life by hearing what I have to say through music. Can I ask you a serious question? Yes. So when you were downloading these songs on LimeWire, like writing your own, <laughs> like, music, were you also playing Neopets at the same time? 100%. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yes. That's what I used to do, like download, listen to Neopets, or like play. Update your Nexopia account. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So had Nexopia. Sexy Snowbunny 13. Oh my god. Yeah, man. Uh, That was also my vamp. Because I was not into, sorry, Neopets. But Mm -hmm. I also had a Vampire Freaks account. Of course. Because I was in the emo phase. And I think I also was Sexy Snowbunny something. Oh my god. I forget what I was on Nexopia. But a couple years ago, when whatever company it was that bought Nexopia was like, was this you? And, like, your whole, like, account came back. And I was like, <gasps> no. <laughs> I was in the middle of a job search. I was like, please, this is the absolute worst <laughs> thing. I went back a few years ago and actually found my old account oh. and was somehow able to get them to like to reset my password and deleted the whole thing. Yeah. Because I was I look back, I'm like, oh honey, no. Yeah. No. I was like blogging about when I first like my second year university when I was like first like going to the bar like the gay bars and stuff in Saskatoon I was like you do not need this on the internet right uh, now like yeah, this is well yeah. mine was like why does my boyfriend love me you oh, know kind of that kind of stuff it was like oh wow this is depressing wow wow mine was wow. just a lot yeah. of like emos emo band song lyrics oh. with little glitter oh yeah <laughs> clearly oh clearly. yeah 
loved this one emo band called Bleed the Dream, and mm. it was just nothing but like Bleed the Dream lyrics. Oh god, which is all about like yes, it's very sad. I was obsessed with the used. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, the used. <laughs> Uh, I really liked a fire inside uh-huh. AFI. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really good, really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Uh, anyway, yeah. that's, that's fun. So I think we have time for, I'd say two questions because we have to ask. We have this same ending question. It seems like every single time. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Do you want to ask it? Sure. Ooh. So, <laughs> what advice do you have for? indigenous usually we say writers but i want to leave that open to indigenous creative folks out there yeah i'll leave it like that for stuff out yeah i would say just don't give up so the reality of writing is that you will be rejected a lot um even some of the best writers out there or the most prolific writers that you know by name they've been rejected too Mm -hmm. so for me i would say just keep on submitting and submit everywhere and just keep on writing and while you're at that um like keep reading as well because the more that you read the better your own writing is going to be and I would just say to, yeah, just don't give up. And it, like, I remember when I got my first rejection, it was devastating for me. And I was really, really down about it. And like, I was like lying in bed crying and I was like, nobody likes me. But the reality is that I kept on writing and I didn't, it got to a point where now I submit something without the idea in my head that I hope I get in, I hope I get in. I just say like, I have sent it out and whatever happens is what happens. Mm -hmm. And if they happen to accept it and want to publish it, then that is awesome. And if they don't accept it, then that's also okay Mm -hmm. because it just wasn't the right place or the right fit for my writing. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. And what advice would you give to non-Indigenous maybe publishers or editors on how to work effectively with Indigenous folks? I think that it's really important to have Indigenous staff Mm -hmm. um, working with you and then ultimately to listen to what your Indigenous writer has to say. So if there's something that they're writing about that maybe you don't understand from a cultural standpoint, ask about it rather than saying take this out and even and then if they if the response that you get is that, well, I don't feel comfortable talking about with you to accept that and just to allow people to write in the way that they want to write. You know, if someone chooses to use their indigenous language in it, don't be so stuck on whether or not they have to italicize the mm-hmm. word. We'll mm-hmm. Allow it to flow with the regular text. Yeah. Those would be some things that I would say. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, to end off <laughs> this amazing podcast recording that we have had so much fun shooting, shooting, recording, whatever we're doing right now, hanging out, hanging out, shooting the shit, hanging out in our, in our studio. So, Tanya and Sheila, as possible future burlesque performer, and maybe one day, what are your burlesque names going to be? Have you ever thought about this? I have not. I haven't. What would you like to call yourself? I don't know. Think. I have no idea. 
Well, it's hard to think when I'm on the spot like this. <laughs> Sheila, have you ever thought about it? I'm Prairie de Vogue. Oh, I oh, love I it. Like oh, it. Yeah. I came up with when I was in Toronto because I was like, oh, I was really missing like the prairies. Yeah. And I, I just watched the first season of the OA and I was like, oh, prairie. Like her, the char- yeah. main character's name is that. And I was like, DeVogue. Like obviously kind of gay. And like, <laughs> Love it. and like, you know, glamorous and like living in Toronto, yeah. you know. And yeah. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I did a session with Kirsten where we made pasties for one of Tracy Bear's class. I was supposed to be there. You were, yeah. (laughs) I got a great tea out of it. And somebody asked me what mine would be. And I, like, had to think of it. And I was like, what is kind of the cutest and cheekiest, like, Cree word that I could turn into, like, a burlesque name? And I think I would call myself Wapoose the Caboose. Oh! (laughs) So... Wapoose is a is a rabbit, but I was just could see myself in this like little bunny costume, just shaking my like because I have yes. no waist. It's like boobs and hips, so it's like just like always. And that's something I'm also like conscious about is the fact that I don't have like a torso. It's all like it's like a little bit, but not much. Oh, yeah. yeah, so it's like just yeah, Wapoose the caboose. I love, I love it. it. It's so good. I feel like if I were to pick a name, it'd have to be something like satanic or something. Or uh, could you just be Liz, yeah? Probs, probably. Probs. Probs. Totes. Totes. <laughs> Totes, my goats. Oh, man. These kids. Yeah, there you go. I'll be Liz, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the devil. That's perfect. <laughs> you could be like, uh, like Lily, Liz, or something, something else. Yeah. I'll yeah. have to. I'll have to have think a smoke about and it. then think about it and let you know where <laughs> all my good ideas come from. Yeah. yeah. So to all our listeners out there, thanks for sticking around for so many episodes. We got a couple more left in season one, and maybe look out for us in the future, shaking, shaking our stuff on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. The book women burlesque dancers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. awesome